0: Greetings and welcome to Association Rockstars, where we hear about the journey and insights of amazing nonprofit and association executives and partners who are building the industry of tomorrow. My name is Lil Applebaum, the CEO of Vistacova, where we partner with organizations on strategy, visioning, and governance facilitation. It's my absolute pleasure to have with me today Joseph Jones, PhD, MPA, IOM. Joseph is the Chief of Staff at the for the President at Des Moines University, And he's the former executive director of the Harkin Institute for Public Policy and Citizen Engagement at Drake University. He's a community volunteer, a local elected official, as well as a nonprofit organization board leader. So he has all like all the check marks you could possibly want for local involvement. He's a lifelong introvert, spends his quiet time with his seven-year-old Newfoundland and an assortment of backyard chickens. And we'll find out if they have names. Joseph, so good to have you with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and thank you for that
0: great introduction. Absolutely. Well, everyone that we speak to, we are talking to because they have demonstrated and continue to demonstrate leadership in their organization, and the larger nonprofit community. And so a question we always love to start with is just a self-reflective one. Clearly, you have strengths that you bring to the table. What would you identify as one of your superpowers?
1: Well, I appreciate this question because i I often think of just, you know, doing the things means that I'm doing the work, right? And so identifying it or labeling it, um, I think that one that I would um, strongly identify with is is mindfulness, my ability to be mindful in um, many different situations and making people feel heard uh, and understood, I think, has uh, really served me well in my leadership journey and my work in the nonprofit world.
0: Mm. Do you find that, that, that ability, right? The mindfulness is something that was inherent and you were born with. Is it something you saw demonstrated? Is it something, I mean, you have some good letters after your name there. Is it something like you learned in like a formal path? Like how did it develop? Yeah. I think that I,
1: um, I think it was inherent. I think that there was just, that's my way of operating and, and trying to decipher the world. I think I've learned to hone that skill uh, in a more, uh, precise and deliberate way but I think it is just kind of my natural personality to to be that way mm-hmm.
0: so when you're mentoring others right or you're supervising others along the way uh it, it's not as inherent in someone that you're that you're helping what how do you direct them right how is it that someone could be more mindful if it's not just something innate sure
1: I think sometimes it's just a matter of, of stopping for a beat and thinking okay well this is what I believe but what's someone else thinking or what was their mindset in which they made that decision or made that comment. And, and it's the old adage of putting yourself in someone else's shoes um, and understanding the environment uh, from which they come, but also where that particular action is coming from at that moment. Um, And so reminding people of that, uh, reminding people that, when they're in crisis and they want to be heard, uh, just like someone that they're supervising or interacting with wants to be heard. Uh, and so just giving that pause in your reactions and, and helping people to understand that that's, you know, it's natural to react a certain way, but it's also natural to add to your repertoire this ability to take a step
0: back and look at the full picture. So there, we have many who uh, join us there in our community that either are in or aspiring to C-suite positions as you're the chief of staff to the president of a university, right, what's what has surprised you about the role you have to play as the chief of staff? Well, I think,
1: you know, as we all move through our leadership journey, particularly particularly in the nonprofit world, I think a lot of people are used to having several different roles, oftentimes at once, right, where you have yeah. to have three or four different jobs. Um, And the chief of staff role is one of the ultimate support roles, you know I've been in positions where I've been the final decision maker, and I've been in roles where I've only taken orders essentially. (laughs) Um, And so, this is one where uh, I spend time advising and thinking through certain things it's um, wanting to make sure that my Uh, leadership. My boss has the information she needs, has the support she needs. And, you know, it's not about me or my success. My work involves helping her to be successful and helping the organization to be successful. So I get to to be in the background uh, this time around. And I I relish that opportunity because, you know, I've had the great enjoyment of having several different types of jobs uh, throughout my career. And, you know, having this experience is another one that helps to round out the way I see the world. And so I, I like the idea that I get to be in the support role, uh, providing the information or the the work or oversight that you know she's asked me to do and, and perform the job. So I get to execute on the vision, which is really a lot of fun.
0: I want to hear more about sort of the journey that led here, but I, I feel the need to ask since you're talking about the pleasure you take in this in a support role, but a CC support role, right? I mean, mm-hmm what do you find as your approach to managing up? Like, how do, you, how do you learn how to best partner with the person that you're managing, right? How to learn what they need for them to learn how you function. Like, how do you approach that? Because we were talking before, you've only been there since January, correct? Right. Mm-hmm. Right, so nine months in, certainly not honeymoon period per se, right. but you've had still learning each other, I imagine, to some extent.
1: Sure. And working for, for any leader requires, you know, that you have a certain level of trust, and understanding of how uh, they they work and operate, um, I think it's also really important. And one of the things that I I definitely learned to embrace over the years is, you know, speaking truth to power. I've always worked for elected officials or um, or leaders and organizations, and and being able to have those those conversations where you you are saying the things that may not be comfortable, but they need to be said, and someone needs to at least address them, but I think the other thing that I've learned to, to love uh, through watching some of the leaders I've worked with is being comfortable with the things that I don't know, being comfortable with saying out loud, I don't know. Um, I'll I'll figure it out or you know, maybe we can find someone who does know. Uh, but I think early in my career, I wanted so much to prove myself that I would just devour information, trying to think of every possible angle that might be asked and thing that I might need to do. And And now I feel comfortable knowing that i've amassed a lot of information and some of it's really random and useless uh only good for trivia on a wednesday night and the you know the holes that are left to be filled and so sometimes when you know i'm asked something that i don't know it it actually feels good to say i don't know like I, i don't have to like expend the energy thinking really hard about it or trying to dig up something i think i've gotten smarter on how i find the answers um, and, or how I connect with the people who do know how to do the thing, but it's not a, um, a personal loss to me to not know something.
0: So this, I mean, there's a really nice frame of uh, professional maturation, right, in what you just described, from the the drive to need to be the repository of all things known, to having the intelligence to recognize where you can go to find that knowledge yeah where did tell us a little bit how sort of your professional journey started I mean along the way you have a master's you have a doctorate right did it actually was it after the doctorate was really when work life started was it in between what what did the career path look like
1: well I uh I I was the first uh generation and the first person in my family to go to college um and so once I did complete my undergraduate degree in economics um, I decided that, you know, the next thing was to go off into the workforce. And I always knew that I wanted to work in government and politics. That was really where, where my um, my passion lie, and it had to do with public policy. Um, and so I left college and went to um, Atlanta to go work for the state of Georgia, um, working for the state auditor during... Um, performance audits and writing program evaluations of government uh, programs, helping the legislature understand whether or not programs and entities were meeting their legislative intent, whether or not they're being economically efficient, all those types of things. Um, And and I really enjoyed that. It taught me a lot about um, understanding the impact that government can have on people's lives, but also understanding the game of telephone that goes from a legislative body creating something to how it's actually enacted and and used on the ground. Um, and so from there, I, uh, I came to Iowa on a really short stint. I'd never been to Iowa before. And I came to Iowa, um, through a series of thinking I was going to go to Minnesota or Maine. Um, but I'd never been to any of those States before. And back then I still had a goal of seeing all 50 States. And so I was able to take a leave of absence from my job to go work on a campaign. And I came to Iowa to do that. And then once that was over, I went back to, Um, my job in Atlanta and decided just a few months back into it that I really liked being in Iowa better. Hmm. And so I quit my job, moved back to Iowa and continued to work um, this time in politics more uh, working for a political party as a political director. And then eventually for a nonprofit agency, helping kids um, with recidivism from being suspended from high school Hmm. um, and helping, I taught GED at night um, and then I went to go work in the governor's office here in Iowa um, doing communications. So it was during that time that I decided to go back to grad school and get a master's degree in public admin. I couldn't decide what type of graduate degree I wanted. Uh, I knew that I was interested in lots of different things. It could have been law. It could have been more economics. It could have been an MBA, but I decided that I my passion was for public service and for the nonprofit sector and, and helping people um, to get the services and other things that they needed. And so I thought that whether or not I worked in the nonprofit world or in government world or in education, it would always be connected to something having to do with public admin. So that's why I got the master's in public admin. Um, continued to work in government and different policy areas, including going to D.C. and working in the U.S. Senate for a while, and then came back to Iowa once my boss retired from the Senate, and that's when I entered the. Um, Chamber of Commerce world and kind of the uh, chamber slash association world. And that's how I got introduced to IOM. So I went out to institute. Uh, Mine was West, so out in Los Angeles and um, worked on my IOM for the next several years. Um, Ended up switching jobs just toward the end of me, finishing my IOM. And I moved to higher ed, running a public policy think tank. Um, And that think tank worked on issues dealing with disability policy, with health and wellness policy, with retirement security issues and employee and labor issues. Um, And I was hiring these research fellows from all over the world to work on projects and many of them held doctorates and they were doing all these great studies and I thought, you know, this is one of those times where I can give myself something. I think I'd been spending my entire career, my life doing things for other people, mm-hmm. um, whether it be through my work or through my volunteer work. But I was gonna do something just for me that was going to help me in my job, but just give me a lot of insight to my way of thinking and other ways of, of thinking and analyzing things. And so that's when I decided to start with my doctorate. Um, as I was hiring people and I was thinking, you know, I'm asking people to do these things and draw up these studies and it'd be helpful to me to just understand how they do it. Um, but in that process, it was one of those things where I was not doing the doctorate because I needed to get a doctorate or because I wanted a promotion or a certain job. I was really doing it for the pure opportunity to gain knowledge for myself. And that felt really great. Uh, and so I did that hand in hand with, um, working, um, at the think tank as the executive director. So, um, that's a, a long story, but that's kind of how it all kind of came together and a lot of the I, I never stopped working to go to school because I couldn't I couldn't afford that. Uh, and then I lost the mindset to be able to do that anyway. Uh, and so I, uh, I always made it a part of my my kind of constant uh, lifelong
0: learning. Gosh, just like 10 different questions in there. Uh, let's, let's go. There. Let's pause for a moment. IOM. You know, that that program uh, that the US chamber runs, uh, did you do it? Often it's done over four years. I'm not sure if you did it over that. You did it over I did the cycle. You know, for those who uh, haven't heard about it or haven't experienced it, can you tell us just a little bit in terms of from your own experience, uh, if it did, how it how it helped you in the journey, like what what would you reflect about the IOM? I think it gave me
1: a lot of different tools. Um, IOM is one of those things that helps association and chamber leaders to understand the full width and breadth of of what the nonprofit sector does and how to run a a really great organization. And and it hits on all aspects of it. Uh, So whether it be membership or financial management or board leadership or interacting with um, your team or government relations, many of those things um, that then help the the current and future leader to to attain those skills that they need to to continue to lead and and feel strong about it um, it also builds a network for you of other leaders uh, who work Uh, in the association and chamber world and other organizations throughout the country um, and gives you an opportunity to have a circle outside of your local regional area that you can talk to. Uh, Oftentimes we live in small enough places and communities where, you know, if you have a problem that you need to discuss, you're discussing with people who know all the players. And so it's helpful to to get some perspective outside of that. And so uh, that's another part of it. Uh, After I finished my OM, I've gone back Every year now to to teach in the program um, government relations because that's my uh, passion and my area of expertise and so it's been really good uh, for me even to say to the the folks in the class like I know that you might not like the idea of advocacy or government relations or it might not even be your job within your organization but. One day you're going to lead an organization that is going to have that, and you need to understand the importance of it and how it can be used as a tool to help you achieve your, your goal and fulfill your mission. And so um, I enjoy connecting that way, too, and giving back to the program that gave me some of the uh, best professional friends I've had, uh, but also some really good uh, tips in my, um, my career growth.
0: Mm. Well, that, that both paints a picture of the impact, and I love that you're, you're giving back to it from the places you're involved, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, tell me a little bit about being a local, affected, a loc, excuse me, a local elected official. Uh, yeah. What made that decision, what that journey has been like?
1: Yeah, so after years of either working on campaigns or trying to convince people that they should run because it's important to represent their community, I was uh, presented with an opportunity where there were some open seats on my city council. And I was finally in a job that would allow me to be able to run for something. Many of the jobs I had, you know, it was not the best idea for me to run for office and, and hold that. And so I was in a position to be able to do it. And, you know, I realized uh, as my my friends and colleagues were saying to me, you know, this is kind of your put up or shut up. You've been telling people yeah. to do this yourself for so many times. So this is your opportunity. Or are you going to do it? Um, and I, I decided to do it because I like the direction our city was going and I knew that we can continue to do some great things and I wanted to be a part of um, presenting solutions and helping us to achieve some of our goals and so I, uh, I put my name out there and I ran and uh, it was an interesting experience because I saw in myself all the things that I found funny or or comical i guess about candidates my entire life i became that person who really wanted to see my yard sign someplace which is ridiculous or you know was concerned that someone else had more signatures on something than i did and um you know we're all human so right. uh, seeing that getting the, the experience of going door to door and really seeing my my neighbors and hearing about their issues was really um rewarding to me and it's uh, now my second term and i've really uh, enjoy the, uh, the opportunity. The first time I ran, um, there were nine of us running for three spots. Um, and I got the third spot by one vote on election night. Um, by the time we did the canvas, I think there were probably 16 votes. Uh, but anyway, it was close. <laughs> and, uh, when I ran for re-election, there were only I think two of us for three spots. So that meant that we at least made a difference in how we were engaging and, and people didn't see the reason to be up in arms and want to run. So uh, actually got more votes than anybody else in the ballot at that time. So that was, that was fun too.
0: Yeah. Well, sounds like a path, a path of success. Yeah. I, I saved the fun question. I want to ask this. You're at this moment in life where you're the chief of staff to the president of the university. You've been the executive director of a uh, policy Institute, right? You're an elected official. You teach, you volunteer. If you were talking to 18 year old, you, what, what's a piece of advice you would give yourself before you've walked this journey of learning and growth and contribution and success and struggle, I'm sure, along the way too, right? But all the pieces, looking back, what would you tell your younger self?
1: Um, I tell my, my younger self to remember to take a deep breath, not to forget where he, he came from, um, and
0: be true to yourself. Mm. I like that. All right, the fun question, because we were yeah. talking about before. I uh, You shared that you've been uh, wearing bow ties for how long? Oh, gosh, since 90, 1992. All right, so g- give me sort of the top one or two bow ties, your top one or two favorite bow ties that you've worn. Because mm. mm. you were mentioning you had some different ones. <laughs> yeah. I do. Um, I, I have a really,
1: uh, what I call the... The interview bow tie, and I think I end up wearing it anytime I have a most of the time when I have a job interview, and it's just a really pretty tie that I I happen to see um in Rome. Uh, and I I bought it from this, this store that it just stood out to me. So that's that's a favorite of mine. Um I have um, a really good friend who makes clothes for American girl dolls. And sometimes out of the, the scraps, she'll make, you know, bow ties just for fun. And so I have a a matching. Bow tie with my goddaughter's American Girl doll dress and my goddaughter's pajamas. Uh, and so that that's one's amazing. kind of a, a fun one too. Yeah.
0: I love that. Well, time goes by quickly on here always, but we've heard so much about the journey that's gotten you to this point and where you are. You know, as you think about the future far, far down the road where uh, perhaps you're going into bow tie making as you step back from public or professional life. <laughs> When you look back, what do you hope your legacy will be for the future?
1: Um, I hope it's a legacy of inspiring others to um, serve their communities uh, and to give back. Um, I've always derived a lot of my enjoyment from helping other people achieve their goals uh, and doing things that are, are helpful to give back to the greater community. So I hope others Um, are inspired or at least led by those thoughts to do that a little bit with their time as well.
0: I love that. Joseph, it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know you a little bit better, to hear your journey, your story, and to have that hopefully inspire others on theirs as well. Thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was a lot of fun. And for everyone tuning in, thanks as always to Amy, who's been chatting with you on all the social media channels. Uh, And to everyone who tunes in time and time again as we... Together, share the learning and the journey as we learn from some amazing people in the nonprofit. Until next time, Association of nonprofit.